You're listening to the Good Old Boys Fantasy Football Podcast. Now here's your hosts, Kevin, Derek, and Alex. Alrighty, welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Good Old Boys Fantasy Football Podcast. I am Derek, and I am joined, as always, by your co-hosts, Kevin and Alex. Guys, we've got a fantastic show for you tonight. We're going to hit up the Indianapolis Colts for 2021 Fantasy Football. We are joined by Billy Witt from the Fantasy First Rounders Live. Great guest, and always a pleasure to have him on and uh, chat with us. If you guys haven't done so already, make sure you're clicking the subscribe button, the follow buttons. You can find us on YouTube, the good old boys fantasy football podcast, YouTube channel. Please head over there. Give us a subscribe, but guys, let's go ahead and move on to the Indianapolis Colts and we'll start where we always do. That's in the running back room. Jonathan Taylor finished as running back six on the year, 232 rush attempts, 1,169 yards, 11 touchdowns, 36 receptions on 40 targets for 299 and one through the air. Guys, your thoughts on Jonathan Taylor? Really high on Jonathan Taylor coming in this year. Uh, He's my RB4 uh, for redraft purposes and a little bit higher in Dynasty. I just really like the talent, really like the position behind that O-line. So really didn't get to see him cut loose until week 11 against Green Bay. 22 carries for 90 yards, four receptions on four targets. You know, a nice 15-point fantasy day. Missed the next game, and then the remainder of the season, he just went on a tear. RB1 scored 130 fantasy points, 26 fantasy points per game, 650 yards on 97 carries, averaging 6.7 yards per carry, second only to Derrick Henry down the stretch in rushing yards, who just always goes on a tear in late December. So uh, I like what I see. Like you said, uh, RB6 really didn't get cut loose until like the last, you know, the latter mid-back half of the season. So got to like that upside. I'm not real concerned about uh, anybody cutting into the workload. He showed he can catch balls. He is the clear cut one ARB one in Indianapolis. And as a dynasty back, it doesn't get any sweeter than a guy of this caliber. I agree with that completely. I love me some Jonathan Taylor as well. I, I think that, um, another year of growth with, Pittman, uh, T.Y. Hilton coming back, uh, Fisher coming over as a free agent to help solidify that offensive line yet again, um, and Carson Wentz being under center and the ability to use the deep ball that they didn't have last year. All these things help Jonathan Taylor. Um, it's, it, I, I would agree. He's, he's in the top five. Now, I think four is probably about right. I could see him as high as two. I could see him as low as, you know, six, if something just doesn't quite go right. But that Indianapolis defense is for real. Um, I I like this indie team as a whole a lot. I, I think that they should be competing for an AFC championship spot. I think them, Buffalo, and Kansas City are the clear top three in the AFC and it's just going to be probably who has home field advantage. Like can Indianapolis come back and, and, and redeem their playoff demon and beat Buffalo where they lost to them last year. Um, Or is Kansas city going to keep running it? So there's, there's a lot of things that Taylor showed. He does very well. He runs behind his pads very well. He did this at Wisconsin. He can receive the ball. He worked on this a lot at Wisconsin, getting ready for the NFL. And it showed last year that he 
is able to catch balls out of the backfield. Um, he is elusive. He is not a burner per se, but he does have that next gear that if he gets into the secondary, he is a problem to try and bring down. So all these things on top of the fact that Indianapolis is good enough, they're going to be leading a lot in the fourth quarter guys. And the best way to maintain a lead in the fourth quarter is you turn around and it's handoff, student body left, student body right, student body up the middle, whatever the hell you want to call it, but it's all volume for Jonathan Taylor. What this means is fantasy production, and that is why, at least for for me and Billy, we'll see what Alex has to say, um, he's a clear top five fantasy back this season. So I'm still bitter against Jonathan Taylor because I thought I was being sneaky, and I picked up a ton of shares of Marlon Mack. And that did not work out. So uh, I'm very bitter against Jonathan Taylor. And the reason for that bitterness is because that dude exploded onto the scene. And uh, he is he is definitely, yeah. I Taylor mean, top five Max is... Taylor is... blow up, though. Well, yes, that, that, also, that also hurt. That, that also was not uh, ideal. Um, but I was, I was, I, there were two guys on this indie team that I was, uh, super high on and it didn't work out at all because of injuries. And then, I mean, really, you know, hey, if Marlon Mack comes back and there isn't a Jonathan Taylor, then you'd have to think that Marlon Mack would, would have been the dude because that was an offense that was going to be geared for running the football, right? It, it was Phillip Rivers, who is a gunslinger, but you know, he, he relies on the run game, the run, he's smart enough to check into plays to get, you know, um, to get running plays when the passing play isn't going to work out. You know, he, he was smart enough to do that. Um, I also had Marlon Mack when they didn't have a quarterback. Um, and that that you know, just didn't work out for me. Uh, but Jonathan Taylor, top five back. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I think that uh, with with everything else that they've done this, this year, another year on Frank Reich. I think Frank Reich is one of the best offensive minds in the game and maybe one of the most underrated, which is, crazy to say um but you know he's in he's in indianapolis he was just the the you know the oc in philly but really i mean i think we're seeing how important he was to that super bowl run um because after he left you know philly went downhill carson wentz wasn't the same player um so i'm i'm excited to to see carson reunite with him but 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 more than that you know they showed that year that they did make the super bowl run in philly they showed the importance of the run game and they brought in you know, good power running backs, um, but they were also able to utilize those guys in different areas as well. So um, I think they're, they're really smart about how they go about things. And I think that that just means, you know, fantasy success for, for Jonathan Taylor. So before, like, so I don't, don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of Jonathan Taylor. Uh, so much so to the point I was drafting him in redrafts probably earlier than I should have, especially going into the season with the situation that he had. So that's kind of my disclaimer on to then go into this next point. That's uh, going to lead us down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but I think the discussion's worth having. So when you look at it, right, Jonathan Taylor for the most part through the season was very frustrating to have on your fantasy roster. Um, So much so that another running back that was very frustrating to have on your roster. And we're going to do a little bit of a 
blind comparison to this guy from uh, Jonathan Taylor, who we know the stats, we just read it off, all that kind of stuff. But um, another guy that was a little bit frustrating there, but the narrative even before free agency started and some of that changed the situation this year, the narrative was completely different going into these two players on how it looked. So we have Jonathan Taylor, right? Player B. Uh, had 273 rush attempts for 1,065 yards, 12 touchdowns, 33 receptions for 45 targets for 238 through the air. And looking at it going into, as soon as the season ended, one, everybody, or most folks were very high on Jonathan Taylor. Most folks were very down on player B, even though output wise was very similar. And when you look at it from a, you know, output production, Jonathan Taylor had three si- top six finishes. Uh, player B had three and top 12 uh, finishes. Jonathan Taylor had five player B had six. So you were getting even more, you know, winnable type of weeks from that player. Uh, but just kind of curious as to your guys's thoughts on how that narrative changes there. And if you want the player B's name, I will give it to you before you give your opinion. Is it Clyde Edwards Hilaire? No. no. Oh, I know. I think who Kevin B knows. Is. Yeah. Billy, you got a you got an idea who it is? Uh, I was thinking Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs. It is Josh Jacobs. Okay. So, like, you look at it, right? Both of them finished. One finished at six. One finished at eight. Yep. Production wise, was very similar to it. Josh Jacobs actually had more opportunity there. And even before Kenyon Drake signed with the Raiders this offseason through free agency, if you were listening to kind of the community out there and where people saw them, they were way down on Josh Jacobs and way up on Jonathan Taylor. And that's one of those that I, I guess the question that I'm ultimately trying to ask is, is it that finish that brings everybody to it and really rattling off, uh, you know, an amazing finish to the, to the year, to the point where he won some people, some championships down the stretch versus Josh Jacobs, who had a similar output and production with even more weeks inside the top 12, but did it more sporadically throughout the season. So that's kind of the question that I leave. I definitely think it's that finish over those last five games. uh, Jonathan Taylor's worst game was like 19.4 fantasy points. And I think there was a 30 and a 40 burger sprinkled in there as well right at the end of the year. So I think a lot of people might be riding high on that finish carrying through the playoff run, especially it's kind of, you know, if you had to win uh, to get in kind of thing and you had Jonathan Taylor, he had a 33-point week, got you in the playoffs, rode him as that wide that uh, running back one through the playoffs. I could see people being attached. However, when I look at Josh Jacobs, all I heard last offseason is how he was going to have all this progression in the passing game. That just didn't happen. And it was really – kind of depended on if if he did just what he did uh, running the ball, match that, and got the, the 50 receptions that uh, everybody was talking about him getting, Gruden included, that would have put him up there right in that top five range with that PPR upside. However, we just didn't see it happen, and it looks like the Raiders don't believe he's that guy bringing Kenyon Drake in, a guy who's had two 50-plus reception seasons already to his uh, credit. So uh, it seems like, that just isn't there for Josh Jacobs. And I do feel like Jonathan Taylor might actually be the better receiver uh, when everything's said and done. I just feel like JTT, Jonathan Taylor touchdown, my boy, might be a different caliber back than Josh Jacobs and with a hell of a lot better situation. 
So, so two, two things to this, right? We, and we all knew this last year, going into last year with rookies, right? Without the, with, with the, with the lack of OTAs and, and the lack of summer work and the lack of a preseason, that it was going to be tough for rookies to adjust to the league. And it, for the oh, yeah. most part, that played out. Yeah, that played out, right? And so that's why Jonathan Taylor was so frustrating at the start of the season. The dude was learning how to play in the NFL when the games mattered. He didn't have he was, the beneficiary he was like of eleven carries a game, you know. Right, right. They were they were working him in because he he was making the jump. I don't care how good you think the Big Ten is, it is not the NFL, right? No. Like that's that's what it is. So we knew we knew that rookies were going to have a slower, you know, kind of build up, and and I think maybe only Ceh was like the one guy that just kind of burst onto the scene, but he was in a really good good situation there in Kansas city. Um, and so, but even then that wasn't sustained throughout the whole year. And we, we didn't really see CEH get stronger throughout the course of the season, but we did see that from Jonathan Taylor. We saw him get better week in and week out. We saw him, you know, progress. And, and to your point, Billy, he put up some really good performances for guys when they're the most memorable. And that's when you need them to win playoff games. I still know who Matt Flynn is, because he put up a memorable performance in a meaningful game, right? We, we ad nauseum have talked about that. But those, those are the, the things. Recency bias plays into this, right? And I think I like Jonathan Taylor more because he's in a situation where I trust the head coach a little bit more, and I trust the head coach is going to be a little bit more level-headed when it comes to personnel decisions. Gruden is a firecracker, right? And if you're on his bad side, which can happen at the drop of a hat, you're not going back in the game for the rest of the game. And hell, you might not even be on the team come Monday after a Sunday game, right? Like that, that is just the way that it works over there. When he is judge, jury, and executioner, uh, I guess he's not now that they've got Mayock in there, but those two guys seem to be lockstep. Uh, it, it, I, I like Jonathan Taylor's situation a lot better. I like the longevity of Jonathan Taylor's situation versus Josh Jacobs' situation. Um, so those are those are two big reasons why I think that the, the the community, as you put it, Derek, was down on Josh Jacobs was because of those those issues that we saw creeping up, and we saw um, there wasn't there some off the field stuff with Josh Jacobs too, that, that happened like a, like a DUI. He got in a, an accident. Yeah. There, and yeah, so that, 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 that he was never charged with and yeah, yada, 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 yada. Right. But, but all it takes, especially for, for people that are just reading headlines, right. That, that's the one that's going to stick with you is that, Oh, he was charged. Oh, that he's got off the field issues that, like that. That's going to stick in your head. Maybe it didn't happen, whatever it was, but even me, like I knew there was some off the field stuff with Josh Jacobs. There was some off the field stuff. It never happened, but I had heard about it, right? And so that's going to affect your opinion on a guy. Nevertheless, we haven't had to worry about that with with uh, Jonathan Taylor. And and again, back to the original point, we knew that rookies were going to take a little bit more time to get acclimated to the league, and that's what we saw with Jonathan Taylor. So the fact that yeah, he might have been frustrating, but you should have been prepared for that frustration because these rookies did not have all the summer work, the, the regular um, training camp, preseason games to play. You know, that, those are things that, that should have been expected going into last season. If you weren't expecting that, you weren't paying attention. I also kind of feel with Josh Jacobs, we're like still kind of, he's so close to showing you that taking that next step of being that really 
awesome running back, that elite guy because he was drafted in the first round. I feel like with Jonathan Taylor, you watched it for six weeks. You got to see it. You saw him cap the year off with 250 and a couple scores against the Jags in a game where he just looked absolutely incredible. And Josh Jacobs really has kind of left you uh, just just short of a performance quite like those ones that you just – when you – you look at the score, the box score, and you're getting killed. And by the end of the day, Jonathan Taylor reeled your opponent in on championship week. Uh, you know, Josh Jacobs hasn't done that for you just yet. Fair enough. I just, uh, like I said, it was one of those that it was it was close enough that it was an interesting uh, thought process to go through there. But no, I like I said before we even started this this thought process. I'm a I'm a fan of Jonathan Taylor. I think that he's going to do amazing, and he's a guy that if you can put him on your team, you should do it. Um, yeah, he's going to be a first round type of pick, and uh, you know depending upon where that falls for you, he could very well be worth the add there. So, any other thoughts on Jonathan Taylor? Y'all ready to talk about the rest of the running backs over there in? the uh the indianapolis moving on all righty guys so naheem hines is the of my computer love it anyway so uh, naheem hines last year uh was a very oh, interesting- i thought you were gonna pull out the ledger you don't have to stall man we know your computer is gone you don't have to stall with with words <laughs> I thought you were about to pull out the notebook and be like, "Hold on, would, let me pull up the stats here." I, I literally was. I, I, I had them. I had them. I got the backup ready to go, just in case of uh, computer computer drama, as uh, it has unfolded for me lately. But uh, no, there we go. The uh, just as I was getting it flipped open, uh, the computer decided to to pop up there. But I admire your willingness to stall, though, while you were trying to pull that up. Yeah, I was trying. I was trying. Anything to anything for y'all. Uh, all righty, guys. So Naheem Hines finished as running back twenty last year, only on eighty nine rush attempts, three hundred and eighty yards, three rushing touchdowns, sixty three receptions on seventy six targets for. 482 and four through the air guys, your thoughts on Naheem Hines. Naheem Hines is a, is a great value, honestly, for where you can get him um, for how the Colts have used him in years past. Um, Naeem Hines is a guy that has standalone value. He's not, he's not a handcuff per se, but he also is one. Um, they're going to use him all over the field. They've lined him up out wide. They use him in between the tackles and short yardage, uh, short yardage situations at times. They've used him in the red zone at times. Um, they use him as that scat back. Uh, just really any use that you can think for a running back, Naeem Hines does fill that role for him. He's very elusive. He's got a great first first step. Um and, and he's able to get into that secondary and make guys miss. So I, I think 20 might be his ceiling as some of these guys kind of come back. So I don't see him finishing in RB2 territory, but I do see him finishing inside the top 36. Like he's an RB3. Um, he's, a, he's a pretty decent flex play depending on how your league construct is and, and where you're needing him uh, to be. So Naeem Hines is a guy that, you know, keep an eye on, flag him, uh, wait a little bit. You can get him a little bit later in drafts, but where you end up getting him for his fantasy output 
is, is a value. Like you don't have to spend fifth, sixth, seventh round capital on Naeem Hines. You can wait a couple more rounds. And as you're filling out your roster, you can get a piece that you can spot start to help you get through some of the thin bye weeks or if your team gets dinged up with injuries. He's a great guy to help fill in because he has a safe floor. He's going to be catching passes. So you're never going to get a goose egg from him. Yeah, similar uh, thoughts to you, Kevin. Kind of where you're getting him, he feels like a, he feels like a really solid pick uh, later in those drafts, just because of the talent that he is. If the opportunity were to get a little bit better for him, uh, would be off the charts. So for me, he's kind of a flex guy, uh, best ball option, uh, and I'm much higher on him in dynasty just because of the age and the talent. I could see him working into uh, a lot of different roles as Marlon Mack's probably not a Colt after this year. Um, he Heinz is a really talented guy. Unfortunately, he plays with a guy like JTT who doesn't necessarily need that passing game specialist as a compliment. And I don't see Heinz getting any more of a workload than what he did last year with uh, Marlon Mack missing almost all of 2020. So I think we've kind of seen what Naeem Heinz is. Uh, he didn't kind of get back to the form as a rookie where he caught 60-plus uh, balls. That second year was kind of a, a low for him, both rushing and receiving. But I have him projected for 61 carries. Uh, limited touches out of the backfield do cap his value. For me, I think that RB20 is kind of like that's kind of the max of what you're going to get. Uh, but a really quality player still where you're drafting to be RB20 is pretty uh, pretty impressive. But I will be keeping an eye on his usage as I can see him getting some nif- some significant work in the slot. If Paris Hilton uh, ends up injured again or T.Y. Hilton ends up missing some time, Naeem Hines is a guy that could step up in the passing game and, and become a more – uh, important part or a bigger role in that uh, in that in that team with Carson Wentz. If someone misses some time, uh, he feels like a quality choice. And when you get him late in these drafts, like I said, but unfortunately, uh, you know, on a week to week basis, there's going to be a few booms and a lot of bust weeks. Uh, we're not going to be able to rely on him. But uh, like I said, if somebody misses time, he's kind of the next man up in both the run rushing game and the passing game. So definitely an intriguing pick uh, with these Colts moving forward. So here's just for context to how Billy and I are talking about this. Here's some of the guys who are going around where Naeem Hines is going. Kenyon Drake, James Conner, J.D. McKissick, uh, Jeffrey Wilson, uh, pre-injury. Now that obviously has fallen way off. But A.J. Dillon, Devin Singletary, Latavius Murray, Tony Pollard, Gus Edwards, Zach Moss. Like those are guys going the round before the same round and the round after Naeem Hines. Like other than Kenyon Drake, there's a big gap for me with Hines and most of those guys just talent wise, you know? Yeah, I would, I completely agree with that. McKissick, another guy who had a very big year last year, catching a ton of balls out of the backfield. We talked about him when we went over the Washington football team, Um, but Devin Singletary or Naeem Hines, like that's a no brainer. And they're going two picks apart. Naeem Hines is averaging, or four picks apart, excuse me. Naeem Hines is going about um, 95th, or excuse me, 92nd overall. Devin Singletary is going 95th overall. Like, that's a no-brainer, guys. Like, if that's what you're left with, you smash Naeem Hines for some running back depth for a guy that can help you out, and you move on and save the battle for a later day. Like, it where he's the the tier, if you will, the draft tier that he's going in, 
he's really kind of top of that class uh, as far as the ability to produce and give you a positive outcome in the fantasy football realm. Like he's just not going to hang you with a one point dog turd week. You know, he's safe for, you know, five to seven points with the upside of 25 points. Yeah. To Alex's point, just trusting that coaching staff, I'm pretty confident that Frank Reich's going to find something for Naeem Hines to do, or some of these teams like Singletary. If I'm sitting in the ninth round and I'm looking at the running backs available and the guy right before me picks Devin Singletary and I get Naeem Hines, I'm really happy about how that round worked out. That's for damn sure. All right. So um, I'm, I'm going back to the 2017 Eagles, which was the last time we saw Carson Wentz and Frank Reich together, right? And Those was, are the. It was pretty. It, it it was it was very pretty, and it was it was it was remarkably unbalanced football in that uh, they ran the ball a lot when when that happened when those two were together. Um, so they ran the ball it was four hundred seventy three times uh, that season that they they ran the ball. Uh, they did throw the ball you know quite a bit too five hundred fifty five times. And keep in mind Carson Wentz only played. Um, I believe it was like 13 games that year. I think he got hurt in week 13, so 12 games, something like that. Um, but the, the distribution in terms of running the football uh, was was pretty spread out. Now, now LeGarrette Blunt was obviously the guy that uh, was the bell cow back, if you will. He had 100 more attempts than any other player on the roster. But then they still had two guys that had over 70 attempts, rushing attempts. Um, they had, they had Corey Clement, they had Jay Ajayi, uh, and then Carson Wentz was the fourth leading rush attempt on that at 64. Now keep in mind, Carson Wentz is not a spring chicken anymore. He does have the the knee injury, right? So those numbers will come down. Those rushing numbers will come down and sure. A lot of those were probably pass plays. Not all of those were designed runs, but a fair amount of them were, uh, in that year. So, so the Colts are going to run the football and Jonathan Taylor is not going to run the football 240 times. Um, Those, those carries are going to get spread out. And if they can get back to, you know, running the football over 400 times throughout the course of the season, you know, that ball's got to go somewhere. It's got to go in somebody's stomach. Now, the thing that was a little concerning and I thought the numbers were a little bit better until I went and looked was the receiving work out of the backfield um, because I thought that maybe Carson Wentz was was spotting these guys a little bit more out of the backfield. Um, but he never really had a great receiving back out of those three. I mean, it was LeGarrette Blunt, Corey Clement, Jay Ajayi. Not dudes exactly known for their hands uh, out of the backfield. And when you had, you know, a, uh, a Zach Ertz that was, a, you know, kind of a security blanket for Carson and, and got the ball a lot, plus some bigger, some other bigger receivers – he didn't really have to um, use backfield that much. But again, Carson Wentz has been in the league longer now. He understands defenses more now. He understands the speed of the game. Um, and so they're going to do things where they will, I think, get the running backs involved in the passing game. I think that he, instead of running, he's going to look to dump off to that running back. You know, I think that's, that is more likely than it was in 2017. So, so basically all of that to say uh, that Naheem Hines has value because they're going to get him involved. 
And if they run the football uh, as much as they want to, Naheem Hines is going to get his fair share of carries and he'll get the passing work because he's a proven pass catcher out of the backfield. So um, there is value there. It is dependent upon where you get that value. Um, I don't think you'll want to reach for it, but uh, if, if you get him at the right spot, um, to Kevin's point, he's not exactly a handcuff, but if Jonathan Taylor does go down, oh boy. I mean, it, he, he steps right up into potential RB1 territory week in and week out because of how much I think they're going to want to run the football and control the clock. Um, to me, I, and I know that we'll, we'll talk about Carson Wentz in a little bit, but when the, when the Eagles were really good and when they were winning games, Carson Wentz was throwing the football 25 times or less. They were running the football a lot more, um, 40 times a game. Uh, and so that is going to be, I think, the recipe that they're going to try and cook up week in and week out is that they're going to try to limit how much Carson Wentz's right arm, um, how much they have to win on Carson Wentz's right arm versus how much they can win on the legs of Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. Fair enough. I mean, that is a team built to run the ball. And I, I I think you'll see Jonathan Taylor up there around that probably 270 to 300 carry mark when it's all said and done. You'll see Marlon Mack. They'll, they will roll him out there for, uh, for some spelling on that. And he'll probably still see somewhere around maybe a hundred uh, touches. So there's, there's a very good chance that they could get to that, that 400 mark that you're talking about, Alex. I could definitely see that happening. Uh, before we move on over to the wide receiver of the room, though, guys, any desire to talk about the Marlon Mack? I think we have to at least address the elephant in the room in that yeah. the, the Colts have decided to bring Marlon Mack back a one-year deal. It's $2 million. Um, I do think he's going to spell – Jonathan Taylor in some areas. Here's why I think they really brought him back is part of the part of the reason and the situations that kept Jonathan Taylor off the field early in the season was his pass protection wasn't quite there. It is one of the more difficult things for young running backs to kind of master as they come into the NFL is being able to keep your quarterback upright. Now, while some would argue the fact that um, the Colts quarterback is not injury health prone. Health resistant. Yes. It's health he resistant. Is, yes. He's not injury prone, but he is a little health resistant. And you need to you put an investment into getting Carson Wentz. Um, you have this young receiving core. You need to make sure your quarterback is there because now you don't have Jacoby Bursett being able to bail anybody out in case of injury. So Marlon Mack is there. I think he's going to do a lot of the pass blocking, guys. Like I do think you're going to see him mixed in on some obvious passing down situations to kind of bring in and, and help chip that linebacker or um, – chip on that D end coming off the edge and give maybe one of the tackles a little bit of help if they're having a rough day. But I think that's what Marlon Mack's role is going to be as we see him come back from this Achilles injury. Uh, but Marlon Mack in his own right does have some standalone value. Like we've seen him play very well for this Colts team. So I, while I don't think he's going to usurp Jonathan Taylor, I do think he's going to serve a function in this offense. Derek, I think you're probably right. I think somewhere around 
75 to 85 touches um, is is probably in the realm of possibility for Marlon Mack, but a lot of what he's going to be doing is going to be protect or excuse me, protection based. His job is going to make sure Carson Wentz can play 17 football games for the Indianapolis Colts and lead them back into the playoffs and take a run at the Super Bowl this season. One thing too to Alex's point, when he was playing really well in Philadelphia, they ran the ball a whole lot more, which opened up Carson Wentz to do to run a lot more play action, which just makes it kind of easier when you get guys stepping down the box. Now, Jonathan Taylor is going to make sure that those boxes are loaded all the time to make things easy on Carson Wentz. That's kind of why we're starting to get really high on on, uh, guys like Michael Pittman, who we'll talk about here in a minute. However, I just I love that opportunity for him to have all these running backs that can kind of all do a little bit of everything. Because Marlon Mack, he can catch the ball to the backfield as well. We've seen him play really well, uh, you know, in time when he's had a chance, he has been a bit uh, banged up, missed a lot of time, but he's a talented dude, back-to-back seasons as a low-end RB2, and he was running back 21 in 12 games in 2018. But he's coming off that Achilles injury, which is really one of the more concerning injuries for a player uh, to get back to be his former self pre-injury with the quickness and cutting. That Those kind of things can be a concern uh, for a running back. And I just think that JTT is on a different level as a football player. But I do have Marlon Mack projected for around 400 rushing yards and two or three touchdowns with very limited work in the passing game. Uh, I think he just they're just looking to keep him uh, healthy in case they need him while he gets back and you know maybe works into an opportunity. But also one thing that I think caps the passing game opportunity for Marlon Mack is, one, the talent that JTT and Naeem Hines are, and three, uh, Carson Wentz. Uh, only throws to the running back 15.8% of the time over his career, which is like 21st or second in the league uh, of the starters that are in the league right now. So, But like you said, I don't think Marlon Mack's going to play that role. I think he's going to do a lot of pass blocking uh, situations where they're blitzing, two-minute drill stuff where you, you got the guy with the experience in the brain that won't make the mistake in the game, and I think he makes some big plays in that role. Uh, that that's the biggest point right there, the experience and the brain. And those things are invaluable uh, when it comes to bringing along a young running back is being able to pick the brain of somebody. Now, sure. Naheem Hines has played more games than um, Marlon Mack, but that's because Marlon Mack missed an entire season, played one game last year uh, or appeared in one game last year. So that's that to me is is another reason why you bring a guy like Marlon Mack back is because he he can help along and keep continuing to teach pass blocking, you know, pass pro and and all of that stuff even when he's not at 100% himself and then hey when you do get a guy back to 100% you've got fresh legs because he hasn't played, you know, like that that's just it's just a bonus. So I totally understand why they bring him back um, for personnel purposes. Um, you know, not every play or not every personnel decision is based on what a guy can do on the field. Um, and, and Marlon Mack, that's, that's just kind of what this situation kind of screams to me is that he's a guy that they, that they want to keep in the locker room, a guy that they want to help along in this running back room um, because he, he just understands what they'd like to get accomplished. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, love the question there from uh, Real Ryan Hicks, uh, another fantasy first rounder tuning in to to watch old Billy there. Um, 
but is is this a viable three RB situation potentially with uh, Jonathan Taylor still being an elite RB one? And he thinks it could be. And I do agree with that. And I think all of us have, have agreed with that one as well. Just wanted to make sure we mentioned that one. Do you have something, Alex? It's just the the word viable is the big uh, the big crutch word there. Like that's that's the the very big word. Viable, yes. I think all three running backs are going to contribute, um, and JTT will be a top five, top six running back in the league. Um, but viable is such a broad word <laughs> in that yeah. there will be two other guys, uh, for sure one other guy. I think we're all in agree- agreement there that Naheem Hines is, is going to be – he has standalone value. But, I mean, I, it's a wait-and-see situation with Marlon Mack right now. Right. And I, I, like I said, I, I think you're going to see Jonathan Taylor with well over 300 opportunities this year. You'll see Marlon Mack with right around a hundred and you'll see Naheem Hines with probably right around a hundred to kind of get to where you, where you were talking about that magical 400 number there, Alex, when it comes to these guys and getting their touches, but any other thoughts on the running back room before we head to the wide receivers? Alrighty guys, let's go ahead and head on over to the wide receiver room. We'll start with the, uh, with the Wiley veteran over there who is coming back. T Y Hilton, uh, finished as wide receiver 40 last year, 56 receptions, 93 targets for seven sixty-two and five through the air. Guys, your thoughts on T Y Hilton. I was actually kind of impressed with T Y Hilton, uh, coming off the injury of the year before we kind of didn't know what to expect because he really looked like a shell of himself. Uh, being the, the you know the speedster kind of aging and uh, kind of the quarterback turnover in that offense, but we did see him average 13.6 yards per catch last year, which is pretty good for a 31-year-old ex-speed uh, deep threat wide receiver. And I was kind of impressed how they kind of changed his game. He was running more routes, more digs, more comebacks, you know, less deep shots. Uh, you know, really letting T.Y. Hilton just be a route-running number one wide receiver. And him, him and Philip Rivers kind of got it going a little bit last year. 700 plus yards receiving but uh coming into this year he's still a wide receiver four or five to me i haven't ranked him the, like that mid 40s range uh just because the upside of the the ty hilton that we know and love isn't there anymore he's he doesn't run a four three uh, anymore he's just a different player nowadays albeit still a very good player uh but we did see his catch percentage drop from 66 to 60 i feel like that's a pretty relevant stat uh, for a guy, uh, you know, and he just isn't that guy that averaged 16 yards per catch anymore, like I said. But I do think he could uh, be helped out by the Carson Wentz addition and help him return to relevancy. You know, health is a concern. Younger younger guys are a concern as well. Uh, I have him projected for about 58 catches, 800 yards, five touchdown range, which would be a little bit of an improvement uh, from last year with uh, Philip Rivers. And I think Carson Wentz does provide that. However, I do think it's, you know, kind of capped there. But I do think Frank Wright could get, um, you know, a little bit creative with T.Y. Hilton and start running a little more underneath stuff with him and let him be that guy that gets, uh, you know, to be the target hog. It'll be interesting to see how his role shapes with the new quarterback play as Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell kind of take over as the guy that Wentz will be targeting downfield more. But uh, make no mistake, they wanted T.Y. Hilton back. They're very happy to have him. And I think he is a bit of veteran leadership in that wide receiver room. That's going to help kind of keep things running as Marlon Mack. We just talked about in the running back room. It's important to keep the, you know, everybody kind of, you know, on the same page, the cool, everybody on the same page and, and working together. Uh, you need those vets, especially with the new quarterback at the helm. I think it'd be very important that he's still there while we see what Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell can be 
be forced time to bail on these younger guys that you know have shown flashes, but really underwhelmed overall. I love the value you can get on T.Y. Hilton right now. Um, he is he is kind of the forgotten man um, with some of the injuries, even though he's fought through those. Uh, obviously, all the quarterback changes from Drew, or excuse me, from Andrew Luck to uh, Jacoby Brissett to Philip Rivers, now to Carson Wentz. Like it's a, it's a lot of chemistry that he's trying to build up and redo and everything else. <clears throat> but I, I I like the value on Ty. Um, I like the fact that you can get him in like the tenth round, and he is a uh, viable flex play uh, for the wide receiver position. I think he poses. Uh, clear wide receiver two upside. Now I say that I'm talking like 21, 22, 23. I'm not talking, you know, up at 15 necessarily or, or getting ready to crack wide receiver one, but I think that ability is there. Um, yes, he is going to be kind of that, the, like Derek said, the Wiley veteran. He's the guy who understands the mechanics of an offense and working with uh, Andrew Luck and Philip Rivers has had the opportunity to work with some very good minds that play under center. And he'll be able to articulate that and build that chemistry with Carson Wentz. They'll be able to share with each other what they like, what they don't like, what they're seeing on the field. And I do see that natural um, combination because of, of their ability to sit in a film room and study together and share their thoughts and opinions. I do think that chemistry is going to be there probably a little bit quicker than anybody else in that receiving room. And so for all these reasons, T.Y. is another guy. I'm going to flag him. I'm going to keep an eye on him. He's a nice depth piece. He, he from what I'm seeing, shows an, a good bit of upside. Um, he has found ways for even being a smaller guy to make himself useful inside the red zone. Like he's not just that deep ball guy. He's He's kind of... Uh, evolved, if you will, as his age comes into moving the chains. He'll he'll slide in between uh, the linebackers and the safeties and catch the ball and fall down real quick, as you see these wily veterans do as they get older. They don't take the big hits. T.Y. Hilton's never been knocked out of a game necessarily. His has been some soft tissue injuries, um, some freak injuries with a you know hamstring on one leg, a quad on the other. Um, he was fighting an ankle two years ago, so. It's not the same injury that's been keeping him down. It's been a couple different ones, which I think is a good thing because you're not you're not focused in on one specific body part. You know, guys who have chronic hamstring issues um, are are a big flag to me, but that's not Ty. His has been a sprinkle of this, that, and everything in between. So I like Ty a lot. I like the value that you can get him at. Yeah, I think uh, Ty is a complementary piece to a fantasy football roster. Uh, you know, he's not a guy that you're obviously going to build your wide receiver room around, but uh, he is definitely a guy that if you get him on your roster and you get him at the right spot, he, he uh, will contribute, right? You know, he's, he's not going to be, um, you know, I don't think he's going to have any of those blow you out of the water performances, but um, I think it, it's safe. He, he's a safe play week in and week out. Hopefully, you know, he should be a safe play if, you know, we see what happens with, with the off season here, but um, you, you can kind of depend on what you're going to get out of T Y Hilton. And, and that's a good complimentary piece to have 
uh, in fantasy football. Yeah, play him twice a year against the Pintos Texans. I, I promise you, it'll, it's worth your time. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Absolutely. Um, this was one of this was one of those that too. When you kind of saw Ty paired up with Carson, I I had a little bit of some some flashbacks to some of the older days when you saw Carson and Deshaun Jackson kind of paired up. Um, yeah, it, it kind of brought that same kind of feeling on how that could come to play. And especially like in a best ball format, love that type of thing because TY can certainly be a guy that's going to pop off and give you a wide receiver one week and is a guy that you don't have to spend much capital on to get those big weeks. And so best ball, absolutely love that. Uh, that type of format there and where he's being taken, even in redraft. I, I like that simply from the standpoint that Kevin already mentioned it, tremendous value there. So not a guy that you have to spend up on and a guy that you can easily put on there as your fourth or even fifth wide receiver onto your roster uh, for a little bit of depth and a guy that can be usable week to week if you need to. So guys, any other thoughts on T Y Hilton? Cool. Let's go ahead and talk about, um, yeah, you got Ryan Hicks real excited there, uh, with a capital, uh, P and exclamation point Pittman, Michael Pittman jr. Last year finishes wide receiver, 81, 40 receptions, 61 targets, five Oh three and one through the air guys. Your thoughts on Michael Pittman. I'm pretty high on uh, Pittman coming into this year, obviously being a Colts fan. I'm really hopeful uh, he's going to take that next step. He's a wide receiver three for me with that wide receiver two upside. Dynasty is a top 15 guy, uh, in my opinion. But he's actually a guy, looking at his 2020 performance, he really underwhelmed only having two double-digit fantasy uh, point performances, and they came in back-to-back weeks. Uh, but I think the potential is, is definitely there. Uh, and I like him a lot more thanks to Carson Wentz's arrival. We've talked about with almost everybody, all he did was just – lift everybody up to that next tier of uh, potential. Uh, But I do think he's a high-risk, high-reward type player in 2021. And you look back to those 2017 Eagles that Alex alluded to earlier, and and there's no reason to think he won't play a similar role in this offense to what Alshon Jeffrey did. Alshon had a relatively good uh, season, um, 120 targets, but only 57 receptions. I'd like to think that uh, over 50%. Uh, completion percentage roll into Pittman is a, is a doable feat, but uh, still 789 yards, nine touchdowns. That's relatively good, but I really think Michael Pittman's upside is a little bit higher as I think he'll do a better job catching those deep shots than Alshon Jeffrey did uh, off that play action like we talked about earlier. So I think Michael Pittman could be a huge breakout guy this year if he could somehow work into the targets. Only 40 receptions last year. That's not a lot to go off of. I love me some Michael Pittman. Ryan, if you are still listening, get your get your hallelujah hands working here, man. Michael Pittman will finish his wide receiver 17 this season. Michael Pittman that. suffered a, from being a rookie wide receiver coming in. He got dinged up with a, with an injury early in the season. T.Y. went down. Paris Campbell went down. Phillip Rivers was an old guy. And they were they were kind of struggling. Uh, they were working in three different running backs at the time because Marlon Mack went down. Uh, the Colts were floundering at the skill position set. Like Zach Pascal was the only one with knowledge of the offense. Oh, and and Pittman, it just took him a little bit. He 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 is a a subject a example of 
why we said pass on the rookie wide receivers. It's not because the talent isn't there. Pittman is a he's an elite talent. He really is, guys. He got overshadowed by Justin Jefferson. Yes. But playing in this Colts offense, the fact that they're going to have to stack the box to stop Jonathan Taylor, the fact that you love that uh, Carson Wentz likes to throw that deep ball. He is that big-bodied guy going down the field. He will have a lot of opportunities there on top of the fact of he has really good body control. He can go up. He high points the ball well. He does a good job locating it. And as you saw in the playoff loss against the Bills, they started to move him around a little bit, right? Like he started to get in between as he started to understand uh, defenses a little bit more because that Bills secondary was no joke. And Pittman was consistently open in that playoff loss against the Bills. I expect big, big things out of him. That one touchdown that he got last year, he's going to blow that out of the way in the first quarter in 2021. And then the sky's going to be the limit. He will finish as a clear-cut wide receiver two in 2021. I uh, I co-signed with that. Um, Pittman, you know, Carson Wentz likes to throw to uh, to these bigger-bodied guys, you know, and, and to your point, Billy, you know, Alshon Jeffrey type, right? And, and if Alshon Jeffrey wouldn't have dropped 60% of those freaking balls thrown his way, he would have had a, you know – Borderline MVP season that year. Um, that, that's completely – if you're not a quarterback, you're not winning the MVP. But it would have been a really, really good season. Um, so that if, if, if uh, Michael Pittman, uh, last I checked, does not have bricks for hands. So I, I assume that, that those catch – you know, the, the balls that will be thrown his way, he'll, he'll be okay with, uh, with catching – uh, those. So yeah, Kevin, I'm, I'm with you there. I, you know, I'm comfortable saying that he's, he's comfortably in wide receiver two territory. Um, I think it was, it was tough last year as a rookie trying to figure out Philip rivers, uh, who was clearly, you know, there to, with one goal in mind. And that was, I'm going to extend my career. I'm going to make a run at it because it didn't work in San Diego slash LA. Uh, we're just going to try to make a run for it. And uh, they ran into the buzzsaw that was the Bills before they ran into the buzzsaw that was the Chiefs. Um, so uh, I just think that uh, you get the benefit of these OTAs. We've already seen, you know, some of these these OTA work. Um, we know that, that Carson Wentz is going to uh, do everything that he can to bring along these receivers. Um, I saw it firsthand when he brought – uh, I think it was all of the all, if not most, most, if not all, I should say of the Eagles wide receivers spent a week and a half in Northern Minnesota with Carson Wentz on a lake, um, just getting to know each other and trying to, you know, figure things out and, and trying to build chemistry off the field. And then they worked out um, in Fargo a couple of times and we got to see that. Um, but that's what, you know, Carson Wentz is going to do. And I think that's just going to benefit a Michael Pittman, a guy who's still, you know, learning the ropes of the NFL. And and it's unfair to judge him off of last season because he did have a few things working against him. He had a veteran quarterback that probably didn't have time to bring along a, a rookie wide receiver because he was so focused on, we need to win. We need to win now. He became the guy when he wasn't supposed to be the guy. Uh, because of injuries and and it was just you know it, it was a rookie you know <laughs> I mean it was a rookie in a pandemic year um, and I think those worked against him uh, leading up to it so 
one touchdown is is yeah, like Kevin said, I wouldn't be surprised if he catches the first touchdown of the season uh, for the Indianapolis Colts, yeah. and um, you know, it wouldn't be out of the question to see him with you know seven or eight uh, when the season's done. And another thing about uh, Philip Rivers is a lot of his most prolific success was with Antonio Gates and Vincent Jackson, that offense that so much of that was backyard football. It was just those guys' communication and knowing each other so well that it's really hard to go to Indianapolis. You've got T.Y. Hilton. Doesn't really fit the mold of any of those big Chargers receivers that he had. He never had a guy like that. Pittman kind of did fit that mold, but he's a he's a little bit different skill set and a, and a guy that needs to be used a lot different than, uh, you know, knowing where to be kind of as, as Phillip Rivers just, you know, the plays break down. So, that's just another testament to the lack of the offseason preparation, the lack of time with Phillip Rivers. And really, like you said, Alex, Phillip Rivers' focus was not, let's make this kid good. It's how many games can we win right here, right now. So Carson Wentz coming in really changes the changes the dynamic of who and what Michael Pittman is in this offense. And he's got to be the focal point of the passing game moving forward. He just has to be that guy. So I think Carson Wentz, they will put that time in. Like you said, you know, he likes to get together with his guys and get that stuff ironed out quickly so that the rest of it is just flat out going out and playing football and uh, not having to think about it. And I think that'll really bode well. A rookie, old quarterback, new offense, all the no offseason did not help Michael Pittman. But we did get to see a couple flashes of what he could be. And a guy with that kind of size is also a red zone threat as well. And we know Carson Wentz loves big bodies in the red zone. So, I mean, if Michael Pittman had double-digit touchdowns, I would not be surprised in this offense and the way they're going to run it. No, absolutely not. I think that uh, Pittman is fantastic. Uh, you know, Alex, you were asking your question earlier about uh, you know Michael Pittman's hands. I think uh, JB Cho knows answers your uh, your deal there with uh, with what he thinks of the hands there. Uh, they're pretty darn good. But when you look at it too, right? Like we we spent a lot of time earlier in this episode really just talking up. Jonathan Taylor and how great Jonathan Taylor is and uh, all of these things, which he is. But when you look at it too, from an organizational perspective, the Colts in 2020 were sitting on the clock early in the second round and they had the choice between Michael Pittman or Jonathan Taylor. And they went Michael Pittman over Jonathan Taylor. You know, that's something that typically kind of gets forgotten in the wash there is that the Colts drafted Michael Pittman over Jonathan Taylor um, sitting there on that. And they took him, they took Jonathan Taylor just a you know seven picks later type of thing. But it was one of those that, you know, they're sitting on the clock and they're not worried about the fact that, Hey, if we pass on, uh, on Jonathan Taylor, we, they, they made their choice about, about who is going to be very impactful for that. And they spent the draft capital there. And so the team has a lot invested in him and, when you look at it from a standpoint of, you know, trying to put receivers on and trying to add players to your fantasy roster, I want players that the team is very invested in. And they proved that last year with some of that draft capital going into it. And I think you'll see him make a progression and, and see some good things going forward. Guys, any other thoughts on uh, Michael Pittman Jr.? All righty, let's go ahead and head on over to Paris Campbell, who... Man, I was really, really upset when he went out in that first week with that injury. I know that on this show, we were hyping him up and talking big time to it. And uh, JB Cho uh, knows, asked a question on there 
that are we liking Paris Campbell or Pittman? And this actually leads into a perfect question as well, before we really start talking, uh, uh, you know, kind of tie in Paris Campbell in there with the rest of these wide receivers on sports. Me earlier today posted the question of, you know, who do you like more? Who are you drafting? Who are you actively targeting? Who are you going after with their ADP in this uh, Colts wide receiver room? Is it Hilton? Is it Pittman? Is it uh, Campbell? So guys, give me your thoughts on Paris Campbell and tell me out of those three who you're drafting. So Paris Campbell, I, the fact that this guy still has some fantasy relevance and there are people that are really, really high on him is really just kind of a, a testament to the talent that he was at Ohio State, caught 90 balls as a senior. Um, but he's only played nine games in two seasons since the Colts drafted him. Uh, coming out of college, we're in that 4-3-1, which is a lot faster uh, than I was expecting, especially for a guy that was averaging under 12 yards a catch. It is kind of an odd skill set. He reminds me of a, a of a Jarvis Landry uh, kind of type player where he's going to get a lot of volume catches, but maybe not rack up a whole bunch of yards as he's you know kind of stays close over the middle of the field. Uh, but uh, he is extremely talented. I'm liking the role that he's expected to have in this offense, and the PPR upside is unreal if he can just somehow stay on the field. But for me, it's Michael Pittman. I feel like he's just a – that guy could be a legitimate wide receiver one where Paris Campbell is always going to be the complement uh, to Michael Pittman as he develops, in my opinion. Yeah, so um... – I am avoiding Paris Campbell um, because I just, I don't trust him. I I just don't trust him. You know, he's given me no reason to trust him. Uh, He's got, he has uh, only 30 more touches than the four of us combined in the NFL. And uh, the four of us combined have played zero games in the NFL, I think. Um, so Do my dreams count, Kevin. Kevin, uh, Kevin? no, it's still zero. Okay, uh, and that that in two years it, it just does not bode well. Um, and I know that you know after after a while you have to start to think that maybe this isn't the exception and maybe this is the rule. Um, and I'm starting to lean more into that camp of it is the rule and not the exception that he can't stay healthy and he cannot play a game, you know, not even a half season, you know, like he can't even play a half of a season. So I am out on Paris Campbell and it would be great if he would prove me wrong. Um, But that's just not a risk that I'm willing to take. Paris Campbell is my ultimate sleeper of sleepers this year. I freaking love Paris Campbell. I love that I can pick him up in the 14th or 15th round. I love the fact that everyone's completely dogging on him because he had an MCL issue. How many NFL players have not had an MCL issue? And here's the deal. I still think he's better than F1. I've said this since they were drafted. Paris Campbell is better than Terry McLaurin. McLaurin has had more opportunities. Sure. McLaurin has had the benefit of health. Absolutely. But raw talent and athletic ability, 
I will take Paris Campbell over Terry McLaurin. I love what this kid can do. The Colts have done absolutely nothing but pump this kid up from the day they drafted him through the injuries, through the recovery, through the other injury, through recovery again. They're so excited to see this guy back on the field. And you saw it week one of last year, guys. Seven receptions on 11 targets for, what was it, 78, 88 yards, something like that. You saw the vision of what they want to do with Paris Campbell. His knee just got blown out. Like So now there's the recovery, but it happened early. So he has basically a full calendar year, or at least 10 months, to recover from an injury like that. Yeah, he might get off to a bit of a slow start as he's knocking some of the rust off of it. But if Paris Campbell can stay healthy, he is a guy that you will pick up in the 14th round that I do think will finish in wide receiver two territory. Now I know that I've repeated myself like that a lot this season or this segment about the wide receivers, because that is my bold prediction for 2021. The Indianapolis Colts will have three receivers finish in wide receiver two territory. And it's not necessarily because of the volume of Carson Wentz throwing the football, but it is the efficiency. It goes back to the offensive line play. It goes back to the all the attention that Jonathan Taylor, that, that he demands, right? You have to keep safeties close in. You can't just play back the whole game. Otherwise, Taylor will eat you up. And it comes from lots and lots of time from the O-line. It is I still think it's the best offensive line in football. It's definitely top three and is by far the best offensive line that Carson Wentz has ever seen in his life. So Paris Campbell, I love it. I love the fact that they're going to play him in the slot. Then him and T.Y. will switch it up a little bit. Paris Campbell will go outside. T.Y. will play in the slot. So he'll get his deep chances too as safeties slide over because Pittman beat him or if safeties are cheating up because Jonathan Taylor's burned him. I love Paris Campbell, guys. I can't scream about this enough. He is my dog, and I am more than happy to take him in the 14th round in any draft to go ahead and stash him. And about week three or four, when everyone goes, oh, hey, come pick this guy up off your waiver wire because he's the real deal now. I'm just going to sit there and say, ah, not too late, I already had him, and he's actually beat you the last two weeks and going to continue to stomp your ass in the mud for the rest of the season. Two things real quick before, Derek, you get going. Uh, one, the 2014 and 2015 North Dakota State Bison would like to have a word about the best offensive line that Carson Wentz has ever seen. Uh, and Aren't secondly, the, there's a big difference between what they're putting out and what the NFL has. Come on now. Yeah, wasn't this the guy that just a little bit ago talked all about the Big Ten is not the same as the NFL and there's a huge – No, I'm just saying in terms of of level of competition, right, you can only play against who you've got. You know, you can only play against who you're playing against. Uh, Second thing, uh, and this is the cliche that uh, I think it it bodes true here. Sometimes the best ability is availability. And right now Paris Campbell is not available – and he hasn't shown that he can be. Keenan Allen wasn't resistant. either. He's, he's not injury prone. He's just health resistant yeah. right now. Right. Keenan Allen was was injury riddled his first couple seasons. And sure, now we right, can't sure. get enough of Keenan Allen. Uh, right. I, I'm with you there. But for right now. And and how long did it take for people to get back on the Keenan Allen train? You know, that's that's all I'm saying. About the first season after he blew up. 
Yeah. So I'm jumping on it a season earlier than everybody else. I'll stand on that. I'll, I'll plant that flag and stand on it. I'm cool with that. Yep. Actually, Kevin, I, I didn't know you were, I knew you were high on Paris Campbell. I didn't know that you were that high on Paris Campbell. Oh, I love um, so I dropped the Mike FF stopping by saying, what's up uh, guys, Mike. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Uh, always a fun time having you hang out. Thanks for uh, checking it out. Uh, Kevin, it actually takes me back to a, to a text message conversation you and I were talking about when we were trying to work a deal and, um, you know, as a Paris Campbell was, was kind of put into the mix there. And I, I told you, I just can't do it. I, I can't, I can't give up Paris Campbell in that situation. And I think my exact wording was he, I see him like I see Preston Williams last year. Um, for those of you that were watching the show before the season last year, you know how incredibly high on uh, Preston Williams I was going into the season. And that was my super deep, you know, breakout type of sleeper there. And I had him finishing in wide receiver two territory, a guy. And that's how I see Paris Campbell again. I don't know that I'm, I'm going to say that I'm probably about that far behind you on, uh, on the bandwagon with, uh, with Paris Campbell, but I'm definitely right there with you, Kevin. Uh, he's a guy that, I think will blow up. I think you will see him have the uh, be able to put it together and see the healthy season. I think that you're going to see them do a move him around, get him in the mix. And I think that this is going to be the year that uh, I, I could very well see him scoring the most fantasy points from the wide receivers in that room. Like there's, I think Michael Pittman will do some amazing things. I think T.Y. Hilton will do some amazing things. But I do believe that when the dust is all settled at the end of the season, Paris Campbell will score the most fantasy points of the three of them. So that's kind of where I've got him. And he's going to be right there in the – I don't see him getting all the way up in wide receiver one, but he's going to be very high in wide receiver two territory for me when we get those rankings done. I have started working through that, just haven't finished it, but that's that's about where I'm projecting him uh, going into it. Guys, any other thoughts on the wide receiver room? And yes, yes, JB Cho knows that is a uh, that is a bold take. So, but uh, yeah, fortune favors the bold, so we'll just be bold, I guess. That's how you win leagues is taking some of those things, but. Uh, and it, with a 14th, 13, 14th pick, uh, you can, you can be bold all you want. So let's go ahead. And, uh, I think I made Billy blush with that one for a second. He's like, damn, I thought I was a Colts fan. <laughs> no kidding, man. I love it. <laughs> all righty guys, let's go ahead and move on over to the, um, to the tight end room. And, uh, Ryan Hicks thinks that, uh, Mo Alley Cox is sneaky, uh, tight end dependent dude this year. I would agree with that, but we're going to go ahead and start with the guy that's most likely going to be ahead on the depth chart there. And that's Jack Doyle, who was, uh, Alex's big sleeper going into last year. I didn't forget, uh, but he finished as tight end 39 last year. Uh, you have 20 receptions for 251 and three touchdowns. Uh, any real desire to talk about Jack Doyle or, or is he even fantasy relevant for y'all this year? Oh, no, he's no, absolutely no, no, no. fantasy yeah. relevant because Carson Wentz <laughs> loves his tight ends. Oh, he loves him some tight ends. That now, sounded I'm way dirtier as, than it should have. <laughs> I am I am not as high on, on Doyle as I am the receivers, but Doyle is absolutely going to help them. Um, <laughs> drop the mic. The Colts starting tight end will be Zach Ertz. He may hey, not be wrong. Come, come this time yeah. tomorrow, we might know. So, uh, 
Yeah, well, and if it is, then yeah, we might have to retake this segment. But uh, you know, Doyle, <laughs> Doyle was a product of Philip Rivers just being a goofball. Like, like Jack Doyle was there in in the areas that Philip Rivers needed him to. Rivers, it seems, just is running a completely different offense. Like he wasn't grasping the concepts or what it was, but. Rivers had always been able to lean on a tight end, whether it was Antonio Gates or with Hunter Henry. Um, and and hell, he even was able to use Virgil Green in a couple of different ways when he was with San Diego slash L.A. Like Jack Doyle was a natural pick for um, a, a tight end, a, a solid tight, well, yeah. a breakout candidate or at least a solid tight end year. And Philip Rivers just completely forgot he was on the field like. He was absolutely ridiculous. Um, they used him a little bit more in in run blocking sets for whatever reason because Mo Ali Cox is a better run blocker than Jack Doyle. Like, I don't understand how they used him last year, but I do think that changes because how Carson Wentz likes the tight end position. So, I see a couple more targets being floated his way. Uh, he's still a tight end too, guys. Like he'll finish like tight end 17, 18, something like that. So I'm not saying that Jack Doyle is a guy that we need to covet and go after, but if you're playing in a two tight end league, I'm going to tell you there's worse options. Um, I'm also going to tell you that there's better options than Jack Doyle. Like the intrigue is there because of how Carson Wentz values that position as opposed to throwing to the running backs, right? Where it might hamper Naeem Hines, like what we talked about earlier. He does favor tight ends a little bit. It is his security blanket. Now, it's also, again, a better offensive line. He's going to have a chance to move the ball further down the field, stay on some progressions a little bit longer. So, better season, but not a season good enough that I'm targeting Jack Doyle. Like he's my, you know, he's the guy I'm looking at in the 16th round is a, is a late tight end and you got to grab him. I'm not going to tell you that guys, but I'm going to tell you flag him, put him on your watch list because if he gets hot, I could see, I could see a good hot streak roll for this guy two, three weeks at a time and then cool off as, as he kind of fades off into the sunset. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not as high on Jack Doyle this year as I was around this time last year, uh, which everything Kevin said, right? Like that made perfect sense. Jack Doyle, good pass catching tight end. Phillip Rivers loves him a tight end. Uh, could, could use uh, Antonio Gates, uh, was effective with Hunter Henry. It just, all of the stars, all of, all of the stuff on paper seemed like Jack Doyle, this is going to be a great year for Jack Doyle. And then it just wasn't. And I'm still trying to figure out why it just wasn't. In fact, I honestly went and looked to see if Jack Doyle got hurt last year because I was trying to figure out why was his stats, why were his stats so bad? Um, because I had a ton of shares of Jack Doyle and then he got thrown into the wasteland of my bench slash off the roster. It just was not working out. Um, so hopefully, uh, with, with the amount that, uh, Carson Wentz loves to throw out to the tight end, that will be kind of a resurgence of Jack Doyle. Um, and he will have some fantasy relevance because he's a tight end in a Carson Wentz led offense. And we have no reason to expect that Carson Wentz is going to change how he goes through things, how they run 
the offense. Think back to that 2017 year, and I, I, you know, I hate to keep going back to that, but you know, Zach Ertz was prominently featured in that offense. And while Jack Doyle is not Zach Ertz when it comes to pass catching, he's pretty comparable and serviceable. And that's going to warrant, you know, at least keeping your eye on Jack Doyle. And, you know, to Kevin's point, yes, there are guys that will be better than Jack Doyle, but there are definitely options worse than Jack Doyle. And Jack Doyle is a really talented tight end. We saw him have over 100 targets a few years back and be really productive. I think he's had three years of 70 or more targets. But last year was just like really, really awkward to your guys' point. I mean, Mo Alley Cox had more targets and outplayed Jack Doyle. He's not a better tight end. He may be a better run blocker, but he's not a better fantasy purposes tight end, in my opinion. Now, my only concern is in this tight end room, they did spend a fourth-round pick on Kylan Granson out of SMU, who's a really athletic pass-catching guy, and I think they're going to want to use all these guys. To your guys' point, like we say, uh, you know, Carson Wentz doesn't throw the running backs a lot, really favors his tight end. Here's how much. 32.4% of the time he's thrown to the tight end. There's only one other guy alive that threw to the tight end over 25% of the time, and that's Marcus Mariota. Everybody else under 25%. So that's a significant gap between Carson Wentz and the next guy. Now, some of that's a testament to Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz in their prime, uh, Zach Ertz in his prime with Carson Wentz in that Philadelphia offense. However, some of that is a bit of Carson Wentz's tendency and there's a reason why they bolstered that tight end group up as well, because they plan to use him. I wouldn't be surprised if Zacherts doesn't make his way onto this roster uh, before it's all said and done because of the familiarity, and uh, nobody else really seems to be going after uh, Zacherts, maybe a Buffalo, but if he does end up in Indy, I think he puts together a real nice showing, as he would be the far superior tight end, I feel like. You don't go get Zacherts to let Jack Doyle have a significant role uh, that's going to really cut into, you know, Ertz being that clear-cut tight end one as far as the offense goes. Uh, but y- you got to be excited about some of these guys. If one of them were to work into a more uh, prolific role or an injury were to happen, whoever that guy might be that ends up getting uh, working his way into those reps could be really valuable in that, like you guys said, that tight end two, just because I expect Moali Cox, Jack Doyle, and the fourth-round rookie pick tight end to get some work as well. How they're going to use them, yet to be seen. But I think a lot of the time, two of them could be on the field a whole bunch this year. You you all make very sound points, and I like them. But I am I think I'm about 100 out on Jack Doyle this year. Um, yeah, call it the the recency bias that uh, that we talk about all the time. But I had Jack Doyle in enough leagues last year and got burned by that one. That yeah, you know, we all know that uh that I typically don't take tight end and anywhere you know in a single digit round so it's normally a, a 11th 12th 13th round type of type of deal um and I'm just he's a guy that when it gets down there if it's Jack Doyle or um you know option B I'm probably taking option B on that one just just from the standpoint I don't know that I'm I'm that big a fan on on what that's going to look like from the tight end room this year in Indy. So I'm out on that one, but you guys make very valid points and uh, he very well could have some, some big fantasy relevancy there. Uh, any desire to talk about any of the other two tight ends that we've uh, mentioned there, either Mo Ali Cox or the, the fourth rounder they just drafted. Now. All right, let's go ahead and move on over to the quarterback room. They got a new one over there. 
I think Alex is a little excited here. This is uh, his favorite player ever to uh, talk about. In yeah, I'm going to say ever. I'm going to go that bold uh, on that one. Uh, Carson Wentz coming over from the Eagles, finishes quarterback 22 last year, 251 completions, 437 attempts, 2,620 yards, six passing touchdowns, 15 INTs, and he rushed for 52 yards for an additional 276 and five on the ground. Guys, your thoughts on the Carson Wentz? So I can't talk about how I think all these wide receivers are going to finish in, you know, wide receiver two territory and not yourself in a corner (laughs) nice about Carson Wentz. So I will say something nice about Carson Wentz. I think he's in line for 28 touchdowns. Um, I'm going to call it 10, not 11 interceptions and somewhere in the neighborhood of mm, 41 to 4,200 yards passing. Um, I do think this Indianapolis team is going to be very balanced. They're going to be able to lean on the run, but they they will find a lot of efficiency out of the passing game uh, because of all the things that we've talked about earlier. So for that reason, I think Carson Wentz finishes somewhere QB 11, QB 12. Like, I don't think he's running enough anymore to get inside, you know, the top eight. But I do think that he is in QB1 territory. I think that that offense that is around Carson Wentz is the most talented that he's played with in his in his career. I think that the defense that he has on the other side of him is uh, a very, very good defense. I don't know if it's the best one because a couple of those Eagles teams that he played on early in the season had really good defenses also. But that only benefits him, right? It means that he doesn't have to push. He doesn't have to worry about not getting the ball back. He doesn't always have to make that knee-jerk reaction. It's okay to throw the ball away and live to fight another down. And I think all this will benefit. On top of Frank Reich is his head coach, and that's where the two have had the most success with each other. So put it all together. Carson Wentz. I have him, you know, quarterback 11, quarterback 12. He's coming off the board right now at about quarterback 15 or quarterback 16. So there's a bit of a value there, which is always a good thing when you're drafting any position. So all all signs are pointing towards I, I am going to favor Carson Wentz this year. Yeah, I'm also very high on Carson Wentz, not just being a Colts fan. I just like to reunite. Uh, him with Frank Reich when he played his best football. And there's something to the fact of getting out of Philadelphia to Indianapolis to a small market. And this team is really set up uh, for success now. He was really kind of just the missing piece. Um, but like I said, my QB8 right behind Justin Herbert and Lamar Jackson, um, maybe not quite the running threat he used to be, but he could still have a red zone rushing touchdown or two. Um, but I love the situation for Wentz, the offensive line, the running game, the tight end depth, the Frank Wright connection, and most of all, the defense. Any mistakes that he that he may make early in the year as the growing pains happen in this offense, that defense is going to get the ball back, kind of, kind of mitigate the damage, and kind of be able to help Carson Wentz keep his head on a little bit and not get discouraged a little quick because I think that's what we saw, 87 sacks in the last two years. This is a guy that's been beat down and just, you know, really wasn't in his right mind uh, playing quarterback when, when he's so focused on not getting hit not getting knocked down and trying to stay healthy, coming off some pretty good injuries. But um, and, and 
honestly, with JTT and this running game and the emphasis they're going to put on it, he doesn't have to carry the load like he had to do in Philadelphia. Um, even the time missed, he still had four come-from-behind wins uh, the year before last, two last year in limited action. So a lot of times where it was really kind of bad situational football and Carson Wentz put in bad situations where this pass rush gets the tee off on him. And I really think, uh, you know, football just wasn't fun in Philadelphia anymore. But um, Phillip Rivers was 10th in yards last year, just under 4,200 yards. No reason to think uh, that uh, Carson Wentz couldn't match that or even do a little bit better. So I'm seeing him somewhere in that 43 to 4,500 yard range, 32 to 35 yards passing. And I, I agree with you guys, kind of that 10 to 12 uh, interception range. I don't think he'll get all the way back down to seven because he's going to be shooting the, some guys deep down the field, trying to make some big plays. And sometimes those are going to get picked off a little more than Philadelphia, a lot of underneath stuff to tight ends, a lot safer throws. I think they're going to ask him to do things a little bit different in Indy just with the personnel. But I think ultimately it bodes well a lot of deep shots, a la Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee. I don't see why the Colts won't kind of mirror uh, that kind of thing going on with the emphasis on that run game and the play-action passing. My analysis of Carson Wentz cannot be taken seriously, so I'll, I'll pass. Oh, come on, Alex. This is the, <laughs> this is the one all offseason. When we get to whatever team you get to Carson brag on. Yes. No, I, I mean, know. This is, okay. So he plays look, Houston and Jacksonville each I twice. Know. Like if I for know. nothing else. Well, but, but hey, hold on. He also got to play. He also got to play Washington and the Giants and the Cowboys. So let's not, you know, well, I wasn't well, like he was coming out of a, a juggernaut. Yeah, last year, now. last year. Uh, I mean, he, he got to play, you know, that was the division that nobody wanted to win last year. So, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously for, for my personal, you know, just to take my fandom hat, uh, which there's a really, you know, weird experience being a fan of somebody that's, you know, eight, nine years, my, my junior, um, (laughs) that's, it's just, uh, a different conversation for a different day, but uh, it is. I will obviously over overspend for Carson Wentz because I have been a fan. I mean, I've been tracking the guy since he was a senior in college, right? You know, I, I got to see him. I got I was at his pro day. Uh, I got to watch him go through the draft process uh, by one degree of separation, essentially. Um, and so I. I I have always had a soft spot for Carson Wentz and he was a guy that when I picked him up, you know, it was one of those weird things where like I usually spend the last pick in our home league draft. I'll spend it on a guy that I either know personally or I watched or I have some personal connection to some one way or another. Um, And so I picked him up with the last pick of the draft and then, you know, Teddy Bridgewater's knee explodes Sam Bradford gets shipped out of town to Minnesota and all of a sudden Carson Wentz is starting his rookie year, even though he wasn't supposed to. I mean, if you guys remember that Carson was supposed to sit behind Sam Bradford and through a series of events, he didn't sit and he, he played right away. And so I've, I've been a a huge fan uh, of his career uh, of him. And uh, I think him getting out of Philadelphia is the best thing that will happen to his career because it, it was going nowhere. After the lightning in a bottle that they caught when they won the Super Bowl, um, they 
the front office decisions in Philadelphia were head scratchers at best. Um, they tried to invest in an O-line, but they couldn't keep an O-line healthy. Um, they tried to bring in weapons, but they couldn't keep those weapons healthy. Um, there were there were weeks um, in 2019, I believe, and maybe even in 2020, where they were, they were literally signing dudes off the street that were playing on Sunday. You know, they were signing them on a Tuesday. They were playing on Sunday. Carson Wentz was meeting these guys for the first time, having to try and figure out, and they still made the playoffs. Uh, they still were able to. He and, and it was because of Carson Wentz. Now I know that there is uh, the the narrative out there about Carson Wentz and his uh, inability to lead the team, but let's not forget that the Eagles did him no favors when they could have drafted him help, and they made the investment of him to be the franchise quarterback. They gave him the big contract. Um, then what did they turn around and do? Draft a quarterback in the second round. I think Aaron Rodgers is a little upset that Carson Wentz was able to get out of that bad situation. Uh, and, and Aaron Rodgers hasn't been able to do it yet. Um, so I think this situation is good. I know that he has a great personal connection to Frank Reich. Um, I actually got a chance to talk to Frank Reich two days before the Super Bowl. Um, when nobody else was talking to Frank Reich and I got the opportunity to ask him about Carson. And it, it was a conversation that I will uh, forever remember because he was, he had such good things to say and, and nobody was really onto what Frank Reich was doing because Doug Peterson was the, the, the play caller at the time. So when you're just an OC kind of in name only um, nobody really pays attention to you, but as it turns out, Frank Reich's very smart. And I said it earlier he might be one of the most underrated offensive minds in the league right now um, because he was able to take a Phillip River. I mean, it was a plug and play last year. Take a Phillip Rivers led offense with no off season to the playoffs. And I know that Phillip Rivers is good, but uh, it takes a team. It's not just one guy. So um, I think Carson Wentz has a better year this year. Kevin, you're you're at 28 touchdowns. I was I was leaning more towards the 30, 31 touchdown area for Carson. Uh, I don't know that he gets up to 35. Maybe with the extra game, that's where I was going with the 31, 30, 31 with the extra game. Uh, I'm still in the 10 to 12 t- uh, interception range. I don't think we're going to see him turn the ball over as much because he has protection. He has weapons to throw to. He has a running game that's reliable. And not whenever Miles Sanders decides to rip off a 70-yard run. Otherwise, he's running for two yards each attempt or less. Um, And so this is only going to help Carson Wentz and his stock. And for all of the people that are down on him, I hope I'm in leagues with you because I, I can get him on the cheap. I don't have to overspend for him like I've been doing the last four or five years. And I can actually get him at the value that he should be instead of the value that I have for him. Yeah. I love it. Uh, Alex and I are actually uh, co-managing a team that, uh, that Billy and Kevin are in and I picked right in front of Billy. If I'm not yeah, mistaken. <laughs> yeah. We were, we were right in there and it was funny because Alex and I are looking at it and we've, it's a super flex. We've already got Dak on the roster. We know that we're going to have to pick up a, uh, a second quarterback. And the fact that I'm, 
I'm co-managing with Alex. I know that that second quarterback is going to be Carson Wentz. So it's one of those that we've got to temper and, and judge on where we think we're going to have to take him. And we kind of got down there into the very tail end of the fifth round. We were sitting on the turn at the fifth and Alex and I remember that we're having the conversation back and forth. We're like, we need the quarterback. And I was like, I need my dude. And I'm like, well, all right, let's, let's do it. Like pull the trigger, man. Just let's pull let's, the trigger. Let's go. Um, because I do see a big bounce back coming for him. And I think that this is going to be the year that you see this thing turned around. It can't be as bad as last year, right? It no. just can't be as bad. Well, There's they- no way. Carson Wentz got sacked 50 times in Philadelphia, this, you know, his last season on the on the field. And Philip Rivers, a guy that took a lot of sacks in, in San Diego and in L.A., you know, up in the 30 range almost every year, only 19 sacks last year. Now, taking into consideration, Philip Rivers can't move. Carson <laughs> Wentz is an athlete. So I don't see Carson Wentz getting sacked much at all, mostly because there's going to be a lot of guys blocking. The ball's going to come out quick. And I think as Carson Wentz gets going, one thing you don't want is a hot Carson Wentz. And I think he's got the guys around him to get hot. If Carson Wentz gets hot, we might be MVP conversation with a guy like Carson Wentz. He has that kind of talent. And then this offense and the way it's going to be built, I think things are going to be really, really easy on him to look really, really smooth. This is a show of bold takes, apparently. Well, it, that's like not it. all that bold of a take. He was in the MVP conversation before his knee gave yeah, out in absolutely. 17. Right, like he was, was, he was that was before Patrick Mahomes entered the NFL. I agree, I agree. It's gonna be, it's gonna be tough to unseat the uh, the reigning champ, but that that it's it's not impossible. It's plausible. It very much is plausible. If the Colts go twelve and four, thirteen and three, Carson Wentz, his name's gonna get thrown around a little bit. Throw one more number on each of those sides. Don't forget, we're seventeen now. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you're you're right. But it was funny. I I bring up that draft that we were talking about simply from the standpoint that I it was one of those Alex and I thought that we might have been reaching there a little bit when we were doing it, and we knew that we were kind of going to it, but we wanted to get get the Carson and uh, and get that experience there because we saw a bounce back coming. And it was amazing because literally almost the second that we hit the draft button and we saw Carson's name pop up off the board, you had about four other four other guys that, you know, oh, I was taking him this round kind of thing. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe the, you know, maybe we didn't reach on that one near as much as we thought. And as these things start kind of drawing in and we start seeing um, you know, some of these things play through and yeah, drop the Mike FF, who's also in that league, said it was a little bit of a reach, but not too bad. Um, but it, it's, it's just interesting to see how, how some of that has changed because, you know, going into last year in all of these things, Carson Wentz taking him, I, I think he was the 11th or 12th quarterback. I was counting it up in that one, um, would have been a reach going into last year. And now it's one of those that people are, uh, we're a little upset that he didn't fall just a little bit further there to him and that they would have spent up even more so on that to get him on his roster because, of everything that you guys just said there and, and to kind of bring that point home, I think you do see a bounce back. Um, I'm going to go a little bit more so than not, not quite as bold as Billy saying that uh, he might have an MVP type of year, but I could very easily see him finishing probably quarterback eight, nine when it's all said and done this year. Uh, I've seen him over 4,000 yards, probably up there around 33 touchdowns, somewhere kind of in that neighborhood there. Um, just doesn't have the rushing upside like Kevin mentioned to get up there inside top eight. 
I will say a word of caution though, because this is the the if they the way that Carson even going back to college, but the way when he has been most successful, when the team has been most successful, he hasn't thrown the football a ton. They they run the football effectively. He throws it efficiently, but he doesn't throw it a ton. So that is the the word of caution that I would put out there because I think that that is a very it could be realistic um, that they they maybe only throw the football twenty five times a game because they want to focus. Excuse me, they want to focus on that run game. And now, while he may throw it twenty five times a game or maybe even 30 times a game, you know, he's only going to have 22, 23 completions, but that's still, that's very efficient throwing, but it's not a ton of volume. So we just have to see how things start to play out. But I still think even, even if it is a limited number, um, it's still going to be efficient enough that it will rack up stats, yards, points, what have you. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I was definitely kind of pissed when you guys took Carson Wentz there, and here's why. So Tom Blasco is on the opposite side of me, and I knew that it wasn't gonna he, that Wentz wasn't gonna make it by Tom two more rounds and get back to me. So I thought I was being sneaky, queuing up Carson Wentz in that fifth round. When you guys took him, I about shit myself. I could not believe. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, because I was trying to make Tom, you know, come unglued and start blowing my phone up, and you guys pulled the trigger on him anyway. So just kind of shows, you know, the potentials there. And as we start di- di- uh, diving a little bit deeper into this, Carson Wentz is pretty attractive in that spot. I don't, I don't think it was for that pick. I think it was for the Kellen Mond pick. But Pinto sent the yeah. best gift I've ever seen. Yep. And I have no, it, I've the never seen it before. But it is table. a panda slapping the table. <laughs> it is the Hilarious. funniest gift I've ever seen. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Great. And then uh, JB Cho say that Wentz plays lights out every other year. This year is an on year, um, kind of oh, relating right. that back to a uh, a Matt Ryan type of uh, type of year. Uh, <laughs> a good years, year, bad, right? yeah. Good year, bad year. Good year, bad year type of thing, or good year, not so good year in some cases. But uh, no, absolutely, guys. Any other thoughts on these Indianapolis Colts for twenty twenty one? All righty. Well, uh, any final thoughts for the listeners? Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. This was a great time hanging out. Absolutely. Billy, if you want to make sure to, to tag your socials and, and tell them where they can find you. Yeah, at BWIT24 on Twitter. Uh, hit me up. That's about the only place I'm at. Get into sports me a little bit here and there. I need to get more active on there. But, yeah, find me on Twitter. Let's talk football. Talk St. Jude Bowl. Um, let's get you in. And that is BWIT24 with two Ts. I, yeah. uh, I made that mistake uh, earlier today. My apologies, Billy. That's but I. I've corrected that in the comments on that. Kevin, Alex, any final thoughts for the listeners? No, we're inching closer. We're in the dog days of summer as we get ready for uh, uh, training camp. OTAs have pretty much all finished up here now. So uh, no news is good news as players do the right thing and remain professionals on and off the field. And, can maintain their validity on our fantasy rosters for those of us who have nothing better to do and draft far too early before the beginning of the season. Uh, I hope the next time we speak, the Broncos have a new quarterback that has (laughs) (laughs) tomorrow. I I hope I'm, I'm, I, 
am tempering expectations, as I said. I I just hope I get a wake up, and that's the first thing that I wake up to. That would be oh, how amazing would that be. And was, Mike, uh, it's not blasphemy. blasphemy. It's, Come on now, blasphemy. you can't, yeah. Mike. You can't say that you wouldn't enjoy watching Rodgers and Mahomes go against each other twice as twice a season. Like that's with just all great those, football with all that talent. Oh my God, Denver! That would be such a fun offense. Uh, yes, Sutton. Jesus. <laughs> oh. And then uh, JB Cho saying that uh, Drew Lock needs to guys season. come on. No, we we saw we're, that. We're fine with. We're with so we don't need to see it again. So hey, do you, guys, do you guys call into work tomorrow if A Rod becomes a Bronco overnight here? I'm, I'm, maybe. <laughs> I, I can't. But. No, with all the problems I have going <laughs> yeah. on at work right now, I can't afford to. <laughs> Oh, boy. I had to cut my vacation a day short because I had so many problems I had to start fixing. I can't afford to call in. But there um, will be there will be a few celebratory beverages, I'm sure. Yes. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, very much so. So, guys, I very much uh, – I think that's going to do it for us. But, Billy, we very much appreciate you coming on and taking the time. We know it's a little bit late there, but, uh, you know, you're welcome anytime. And it's always a pleasure to, to, to talk football with you. Guys, if you haven't done so already, get over there. Give them a follow. BWIT24, that's B-W-H-I-T-T-2-4. Don't forget the two Ts like I did earlier. Uh, but give them a follow. Great follow over there. They've got some amazing things going on with the Fantasy First Rounders live in the St. Jude's Bowl. If you haven't done that, get there, sign up. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, like we already said earlier, the boys are playing in that thing. And so give it a shot. See what you can do. See if you can, uh, can best either... Uh, you know, Billy, any of the other fantasy first rounders or the good old boys playing in that thing. Uh, one of the big events we look forward to every year. But guys, I do believe that that's going to wrap up yet another episode of the good old boys fantasy football podcast. Make sure you're hitting us up on our socials. We got the Twitter, the Instagram, the Facebook, the Twitch at good old boys FF. Uh, we've got the website for you, goodoldboysff.com, the YouTube channel, the Good Old Boys Fantasy Football Podcast YouTube channel. Make sure that you click the subscribe button there. Uh, for Kevin and Alex, I'm Derek. Have a good one. Be safe. <laughs>